Well, here it is, another week, another episode of the Semi-Seminary. And this week, I've got a little-known story for you from the Hebrew Bible, from the second book of Samuel. It's a story of a character by the name of Mephibosheth. It's a story that is a beautiful story of restoration and redemption. I hope that you can see yourself in this story as well. Hey, I'll see you on the other side. Now, this episode is the story of a biblical character in the Old Testament named Mephibosheth. Now, you might be thinking, Mephibosheth who? What Am I making stuff up? No, I'm not making stuff up. This is a wonderful, wonderful story that we find in the Old Testament. Now, you may not go to church very regularly. You may go to church sometimes, and you might feel a little bit insecure. You feel like maybe you don't know Bible stories as well as the person that might be sitting next to you, but understand that today... We're pretty much all on the same playing field. Because Mephibosheth's story is an unlikely one. It's one that's not taught a whole lot, but it is a beautiful, beautiful story. The story starts for us in the second book of Samuel, in chapter 4, verse 4. And Hebrew scripture says this, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Now, let's just pause for a second because it's very important to understand the power of the story. It's important that we get the context of these characters who are in the story. So we're going to kind of rewind a little bit right off the bat, and we're going to take a deeper look at this. So King Saul, right? At this time, he was the king of Israel. He's the current king, King Saul. His son is Jonathan. It's important to know that. Then we've got our character of the story today, Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son or Saul's grandson. And then we're going to have David. And David is going to eventually succeed Saul as king and become the king after Saul. And also note that this is David as in David and Goliath, the guy who kills the giant that we all know. That It's that David. So these are our characters. So imagine that you're five years old and you're out playing in the courtyard, having a fun day, doing whatever it is that royal children do, whatever it might be, hanging out, having a good time. And then the palace doors burst open and people are thrown into pandemonium. They're screaming and hollering and yelling. And all you know is, you know, you're thinking, well, what's going on? And they tell you that your dad and your granddad have been killed in battle. Now, that's a bad start to a day for a five-year-old kid. For anybody, much less if you were five years old. But... This story gets worse. You see, these people are all in a panic because David was now on his way to the palace to assume power. Now, that would have been a problem in this monarchy because at any time, in a monarchy, that family lines change. Anytime the monarchy family changes, what happens to the old family? They, well, they get eradicated. They get killed off. Why? 
because you don't want a potential heir to the throne to be alive. So everybody in the palace is freaking out, knowing that they're going to get killed, including Mephibosheth. Now, why would that be? Because his dad had been killed, and his grandfather, and that would have put him next in line. Therefore, he would have been, Mephibosheth would have been the number one guy to go, right? So Mephibosheth's there. He's five years old. My grandfather, my dad are both dead. And then, well, David's coming. Now understand the context for this five-year-old boy. David was iconic, And chronologically speaking, when this would have occurred in Scripture, David had already killed Goliath. In fact, David had already had many escapades as one of Saul's top generals and had gone out and slain many Philistine. In fact, there's a Scripture in the Old Testament where people sang a song and said, Saul, he's killed his thousands, but David, his Tens of thousands. David was an icon. Also, David and Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, were really good friends. Therefore, it's almost as if David could have been like maybe a hero to Mephibosheth. In modern day times, he may have even had a poster of David on his wall in his bedroom. And David, because of his relationship with Jonathan, he could have been a very close family friend to Mephibosheth, like an honorary uncle or something. So Mephibosheth, at five years old, is understanding my dad is dead, killed in battle. My grandfather's dead, and now David, well, everything's going to be okay because now David's coming. And the people in the pandemonium are saying, no, no, he wants to kill you. What do you mean? I don't understand. That's a lot for a five-year-old boy to take in, for anybody. And all of a sudden, they're in a panic. Well, in that panic, the nurse picks him up and begins to run. And they continue in verse 4 of our story. She drops him and he breaks both of his legs and becomes crippled. Five years old. They pick him back up. They don't have time to set a splint. They don't have time to do anything. They just run with him to a place called Lodabar. Now, we'll talk about this place, Lodabar, here in just a little bit. But his dad passes. His grandfather passes. David, whom he thought he could trust, is now going to try to kill him. And now both of his legs are broken. And they pick him up and they whisk him away. And his whole world at five had been flipped upside down. Have you ever had a Mephibosheth moment in your life? Where maybe you're just sitting there and everything seems to be fine and you're just hanging out in the palace, everything's good, and then all of a sudden the doctor gives you a report that you didn't expect. One day you felt healthy, the next day you feel like everything had been turned on its end. Maybe it's that someone you thought you could trust violated that trust. Maybe it was a relationship you thought would go the distance, but it's crumbled down around you in such a short time. And it's just flipped your whole world upside down. And in that emotion, you can begin to understand where Mephibosheth is. 
And for him, years go by and nothing happens. He doesn't get healed. He doesn't get helped. He's just broken. This is the story of Mephibosheth. But one day, the Bible says, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the first verse of that chapter, one day, the Bible says, King David, is there anybody, King David says, left in the household of Saul to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, based on what we know of the killing off of a monarchy, that, that would be a weird statement to make, right? It's kind of interesting unless we understand the context. You see, as we talked about, Jonathan and David were actually very, very good friends. At one point in Scripture, what had happened was David had been anointed by this Old Testament prophet by the name of Samuel, and Jonathan was aware of this. The anointing was that David was to be the rightful king of Israel. And Jonathan, Saul's son, Jonathan believed that. Therefore, he talked to David and he said, Listen, when you do become king, would you show kindness to me and my family? Because remember, again, it wouldn't be a good thing for Jonathan if the royal line of Saul changed. He said, Would you show kindness to me and my family. And David said, as surely as the Lord lives, I will show kindness to you and to your family. Now, he had made this promise, this covenant with Jonathan that he would do this. And the Bible records in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that one day, and, and we don't know why, perhaps it was the same time of year where David had lost his friend Jonathan. Maybe it was that they were out doing something that he and Jonathan used to love to do together. For whatever the reason, it brings to mind for David this promise, this covenant, his love for his dear friend whom he lost. And he says, is there anybody left whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? So they summoned this guy, Ziba, who was one of Saul's servants. And they ask him this question. And Ziba replies to King David and says, Well, yes, there is one of Jonathan's sons still alive, but he's crippled in both of his feet. He kind of pushes Mephibosheth aside as if, David, yeah, there is, but you don't want that guy. And why would Ziba do this? Because you see, in this day and age, in this culture, at this time, to have broken both of your legs, right? There's no ADA compliance. There's no handicap ramps. There's no wheelchairs. There's, there's nothing for him. So this society would, in many ways, just push him aside and consider him rather to be a burden. He's, well, he's just kind of worthless. Now, in our world today, in our culture, we understand that to be absolutely absurd and actually quite ridiculous because we know now, today, that any physical limitation placed upon someone has no bearing on God's ability to work through them. In fact, many times, he works through you in a greater way, in a greater sense. So we understand that now to be absurd, but in the context 
of this story, it's important to note how quickly Ziba just brushes him aside. Like, yeah, there is, but but you don't want to mess with him. But that's not the response that David gives. He says, well, where is he? I, I want this kid. Ziba replies, well, he's out in Lodabar at the house of Makir. And David says, well... Go get him. Now, debar normally means word or thing in Hebrew. The prefix lo is a negator. Thus, the term lo debar would mean no word or no thing. This is a town's name that's not complimentary. The name may or may not have been an apt description of this town. We don't know. If it was an apt description, it may have been perhaps lacking good pasture, or it just may have been insignificant, a nothing town. In English, we might say it's the middle of nowhere. In fact, in First Chronicles chapter 8, it's important to note that in the genealogy of King Saul, Mephibosheth wasn't even this young man's name. His given name was Mirabal, which means an opponent of Baal. Now, Baal was a Hebrew scripture false god. So it's as if his father, Jonathan, had named him son, his son Mirabal, saying, you are of royal lineage, you are an opponent of false gods, you are stately and you are royal, you are my son, Mirabal. But his name got changed to Mephibosheth, which means the son of shame or shameful thing. So you could imagine, five years old, you've lost your father, you've lost your grandfather, your legs have become broken. Those whom you thought you could trust, you can't. You're taken away from a palace and you're left out in some place called Lodabar, the middle of nowhere. And your name has been changed from an opponent of Baal, false gods, to Mephibosheth, you son of shame. So Mephibosheth had lived many, many years in Lodabar. We don't know how many. The Bible's not very clear on this. But we do know that by this point in the story, when he interacts with David again, he's grown. He's not a little kid anymore. And he's out there. And Ziba comes to his door and knocks and says, It's Ziba, and I'm here from the palace. And King David now wants to see you. Now, for Mephibosheth, is this a good day? Would he perhaps think, sweet, man, I've been waiting for this moment. No. It is the incarnation of all of the fear and the worry and the terror that has haunted him for years. And it is all convening at his door in this moment. Because he had to grow up hating David. Because it's David's fault that I'm out here in this desolate place. It's David's fault that I'm a fugitive. It's David's fault that my legs are broken. It's David's fault. And now, now David wants me dead. And I knew this day was coming. They've been telling me that this day has been coming for years and years. And now, today, the day has come. 
But this is where this story takes an unlikely turn. We see David's response to be quite different than what Mephibosheth had thought. Let me pick up here in verse 7 of the ninth chapter of 2 Samuel, where the Bible says, Don't be afraid, David says. Right? Because Mephibosheth at this point had been brought before him. He says, Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all of the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you, you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectably and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? What a horrible thing to say about yourself, right? I'm a dead dog. Then we almost see what why. Right here in the next verse, it says, All of these years of hiding had made Mephibosheth think of himself as worthless. Have you ever found yourself at a place where you kind of felt like you'd become worthless or maybe you, well, you weren't worth of anything? Maybe you felt inadequate for the task, whatever that task might be that's been put in front of you. You see, for Mephibosheth in this moment, as he's receiving this blessing from King David, everything that he had believed and everything that he had known and everything that he had internalized about David had been wrong. He had been confused trying to figure out what is going on. He had to be bowing, waiting, knowing, coming to the palace, waiting for that sword to come across his neck. But it didn't happen. Everything that he had thought, everything he assumed was about to happen, everything he knew David stood for, everything he knew David wanted to do to him was wrong. And in the same way, many of us find ourselves pushing ourselves spiritually out to a place like Lodabar, a desolate, desolate place spiritually where we begin to believe and we internalize the things that we think about God. We think God's mad at me because I haven't been doing what I probably should be doing for him. Or, you know what, he's mad at me and I know he's upset and he's just, God is just waiting to drop that hammer on my head. He's, I know it's coming. Or maybe it's that you've carried guilt for years for something, for something, friend, that, that wasn't even your fault. But for some reason, you carry that guilt and you think that God is upset with you or angry with you in some way. And I'm here today to tell you that is just wrong. You see, in the same way, David had an unlikely and a different outcome for Mephibosheth. God's desire for you is to bless you and to bring you a hope and to bring you a future. It's a twist in the story all of a sudden for our friend Mephibosheth. Now it's important to know at this point, David says to Ziba, Ziba, come here. I'm going to give Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, all of his land. I'm going to 
I'm going to give him all of King Saul's former property. Property. So think about this. He gives Mephibosheth all of King Saul's land. This isn't like some garden plot over in the corner. He gives him everything that had belonged to his grandfather. This would have been a vast amount of property. And then David says to Ziba, and you and your household, all 35 of you and your servants, you're going to serve now Mephibosheth. And then I love this. In verse 11 of our chapter, the Bible says, And Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. How about that? This kid from five, having all of that stuff happen to him, all of these terrible things, all of these years, all of a sudden it gets flipped on its end. And like the beautiful story of restoration, David brings him to a place of honor and power. And we love the ending of this story. We love it when we see somebody who really didn't deserve whatever and they've gotten a dealt a hard deal and all of a sudden they end up being restored and they're vindicated and we just want to stand up and shout and high five people why is that we love seeing things like when somebody who never got the chance and but then they had a great voice and they jump on a stage and they stand in front of a few judges they get a couple of chair turns and the next thing you know, they're the next pop icon. And we step back and we high five each other and we think, yeah, did you see them, man? They were so good. And, and we love it. And we cheer them on because we love to see the underdog. Or like when maybe some tragedy strikes and we see a family lose a father and all of a sudden the mom's doing everything she can to keep things together and the house starts to fall down around them and it's in disrepair and they don't have the money and then people swoop in and they kind of take this broken down house and they create a castle out of this thing in one week. And then they stand in the street and they say, move that bus. And people are crying in the street. Why? Because, because we love to see these stories of mercy and redemption. We love it. Because these types of stories, this story of Mephibosheth and this little boy who had this terrible beginning yet ends up with this beautiful ending, that type of story is etched in the very DNA of our souls because we've got to understand that we are Mephibosheth. See, the story of Mephibosheth is a true story from the Old Testament that is an allegory of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And you might be listening and think, well, what do you mean I'm Mephibosheth? How? How are you like Mephibosheth? Well, we're, first of all, we're all fallen and broken. Now, you might not be fallen and broken physically, but every single one of us are fallen and broken spiritually. And we read in the letter to the Romans in the third chapter, the 23rd verse, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. In the same way that Mephibosheth had fallen and was broken, we too are fallen and broken. Another thing, the great thing about this story is that Mephibosheth wasn't just left there. And we too, like Mephibosheth, are pursued by the king. 
Just as Mephibosheth was pursued by King David, we're pursued by the king. Not a king that's here on earth that can grant us land or wealth, material possessions. We're pursued by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're pursued by Jesus Christ. The gospel according to John in the third chapter, the verse, the 17th verse, the verse after the one that we all know if we watched a football game, the Bible says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. In fact, he had something rather unlikely. He didn't send him, Jesus, to condemn the world as we would think, as we think we might deserve. He sent him so that he could, the world could be saved through him. And Like Mephibosheth, that's an unlikely twist to the story. And that is the same, is true for all of us. So we're all fallen and we're broken and we're pursued by the king. And lastly, the king's table covers our sin. Remember verse 11 that I mentioned earlier. The Bible said he ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. When he sat at the king's table, it's important for us to know that when he sat there, his crippled and broken condition in his legs was covered by the king's table. And when people looked on at Mephibosheth, they didn't see a broken young man. They saw someone who was of power a position, one who had been granted access to the king. They saw someone who sat there like one of the king's own sons. In the same way, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his blood that was shed for us, covers our spiritual broken condition. And we're made whole and complete at the king's table because of the sacrifice of Jesus covering our sins in the same way that King David's table covered Mephibosheth's broken condition. You see, we're made whole. We're made complete. Underneath the power of Jesus' sacrifice, the forgiveness of our sins, we too are made one like the king's own sons. And and friend, you, you may think that you're broken and useless, But God says that you're chosen and that you're invited to the table. In the gospel according to Luke in the 22nd chapter, Jesus said these words in verse 29, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom. Verse 13 of our story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. We, knowing that we are Mephibosheth, right? You could just insert your name there. And you who were broken now eat regularly at the king's table. Because you see, We're all fallen and broken, but we were pursued by the king. And the king's table, friend, it it covers our sin. And even though we may think that we're broken and useless, oh no. God says that we are chosen and invited. That's something to be thankful for.
Well, there you have it, the story of Mephibosheth. I hope that that story was enlightening and educational to you as well as to me. Hey, listen, friend, if you enjoy what we're doing here at the Semi-Seminary, I'd like for you to take just a few moments, however it is that you listen uh, to your favorite podcast. First of all, I certainly would hope that you'd subscribe to our podcast. And if you could take the time to rate and review uh, what we're doing here at the Semi-Seminary, it helps get the word out to other people. I hope that for the coming week, you will be blessed and be a blessing. We'll see you next week.